from the Heidelberg Catechism we read together, Lord's Day 42. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money and, re- and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may, deal with him as I would like others to deal with me, and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is a saying that's popular in our society. It is that money makes the world go round. While we recognize the humanistic basis of this statement, we still have to acknowledge that it accurately reflects our society. People in our society place a very high value on money. For many, money is the be-all and end-all of life. People devote their lives to its pursuit. For money is viewed as a ticket to freedom. It's viewed as a source of comfort and of security in life. And we are not immune to these attitudes, beloved. The Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal, is one of the commandments that we struggle with the most. We like to think of ourselves as being honest people. Many among us have a perception of themselves that they never steal. Is that really true? It's stealing to keep change when a cashier makes a mistake and gives us back too much change. It's stealing to remain silent when we're not charged enough on a bill. It's stealing to fail to report all our income and pay taxes on it. Or when we declare personal expenses as if they were business expenses. It's stealing when we fail to work during time for which we're being paid. It's stealing to overcharge customers or to underpay employees. And yet that's only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to sin against this commandment. The real problem does not lie in the things we do wrong. The real problem is the greed and the covetousness that often lives in our hearts. The lack of thankfulness to God for the blessings he gives the constant desire to have more, the need to keep up with what our neighbors and friends are doing. It's a problem when we become workaholics, always striving for bigger and better, when we neglect God's kingdom and righteousness and are striving to get ahead in life, when our relationship with God and our responsibilities with our family and the church community are neglected because of these things. This afternoon, we want to get to the heart of what God requires of us in the Eighth Commandment. And so I preach to you God's Word under the following theme. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. We'll consider the foolishness of trusting in material goods 
and the wisdom of seeking a treasure in heaven. When the Lord Jesus dealt with the Ten Commandments, his teaching and application of them deepened their meaning. The Lord Jesus broadened the prohibition against murder to include anger, hatred, envy, and a desire for revenge. He broadened the command against adultery by teaching that it was wrong to lust after another person in your heart. And in the same way, the Lord Jesus made it clear that stealing involves much more than just taking something that belongs to another. Jesus also condemned the root of stealing, the covetous and the greedy desires that so easily arise in our hearts. Striking to see how much the Bible has to say about our money and our possessions. Jesus had more to say about wealth and poverty than about heaven and hell, adultery and homosexuality, or many of the other things that we may deem important. Jesus' teachings included many warnings against materialism, greed, and covetousness. Yet much of his focus is on the gratitude we are to show to God and the generosity we are to show to our neighbor as good stewards of all the Lord has given us. This afternoon, we focus on the Lord Jesus' teaching on money and stewardship from Luke 12. Here, Jesus teaches us some very important principles. He does so via a parable, the parable of the rich fool. This parable is set in a specific context. From out of the crowd, a man called out to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. The word our text uses for teacher is rabbi. Jesus was regarded as such. He was expected to be knowledgeable about the law and to be ready to give a legal ruling. One of the things the crowds loved about Jesus was that he taught with authority. So this man from the crowd expected Jesus to answer his call for justice to be done. It's important to see what the issue was. A man had died and left his inheritance to two sons. It appears that the inheritance included land. The father had left it to his two sons as a unit. Yet one of them wanted a division. He wanted his own share. Traditionally, the rabbi stated that if one heir wanted a division of the property, it should be granted. Roman law required the agreement of both parties. For Jesus, the issue was not about applying the law to this situation. Jesus saw that there was a deeper issue at stake. Out of greed, the one brother wanted his own share of the inheritance at the cost of his relationship with his brother. Rather than finalizing a broken relationship between these two brothers, Jesus wanted to reconcile them, to bring them together. The point that Jesus wanted to make is that some things are more important than money or property. So Jesus refused to simply make a judgment about the division of the inheritance. He said to the man asking for this, man who made me a judge or arbitrator over you. Jesus was not in favor of dividing the inheritance for it would divide the family. Jesus wanted to apply the principle of Psalm 133 
How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Rather than finalizing a broken relationship between these two brothers, Jesus wants to reconcile them. He wants to bring them together. Jesus was not showing indifference to the claims of legal justice. But he wanted to teach this man that there is greater gain than getting an inheritance and greater loss than losing it. The point Jesus wanted to make is that some things are more important than that. It comes through clearly in the parable Jesus teaches about the rich fool. Jesus introduces this parable with a wisdom statement. He said, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus is warning against the insatiable longing to always have more. He tells us that life is about much more than the sum total of our material goods. It's a warning we all need to take seriously. By nature, beloved, we are covetous. We're greedy. When we see what our neighbor has, we're inclined to want the same or perhaps something just a little bit better than he or she has. We think that acquiring stuff will make us happy. Perhaps you've experienced that. You really wanted something. A new toy, your own smartphone, a cool car, buying your own home. Often, You want things that others around you have, but you don't. And you really want it. You yearn for it. And finally, you get it. But did it make you happier or more fulfilled? For how long? Having got what you wanted... How long did it take before you were longing for and striving after the next thing you needed? To show the stupidity of greediness, of longing after stuff, Jesus told the parable of the rich fool. He's described as a rich man, someone who has far more than he needs. Yet God gave him even more. His land produced this bumper crop something he didn't earn, which he certainly didn't need, created a problem for this man. His barns were too small to store his crop. With his abundance, the man had a wonderful opportunity to share his blessings. But he doesn't even think about that. In the parable, the man tries to work out the problem himself. Note this man's complete self-absorption He's alone. He tries to solve his dilemma alone. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Notice claim of ownership. Talks about my crops. To Jesus' listeners, this man's self-focus would have stood out much more than it does in our individualistic society today. Life in the Middle East was lived in close, tight-knit communities. Elders sat in the gate. They talked things through. 
They made decisions only after long hours of discussions with neighbors and friends. They often did their thinking in a crowd. Yet this man trusts no one, and he has no one to help him solve his dilemma. He came to a conclusion about how he would deal with his bumper crops. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. The self-indulgent man decides he alone will consume God's gifts. He continues, I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. This rich man now thought he had it made in the shade. He'd become a multimillionaire and he could now live the good life. And yet Jesus pictures him as a pitiable creature, alone, without family and friends, filthy rich, but without anyone to enjoy life's blessings with him. Jesus' general principle stated before the parable comes into focus. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Beloved, we in the Western world are guilty of rampant materialism. We work and work and work. We spend and spend and spend. We acquire and acquire and acquire. We're on a treadmill like rats on a spinning wheel, wanting more and more and thinking that happiness depends on the stuff we buy. Often we're self-focused, self-absorbed, and self-indulgent. But are we happy? Are you satisfied with what you've got? Are you still striving for bigger and better and more? Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, and he who loves wealth with his income. Evaluate your life. What are you doing with your money and possessions? How much do you give to God and his kingdom work? How much do you share with your neighbor? Are you like the man in the parable in that you think first and foremost about yourself? In this parable, Jesus makes clear the foolishness of trusting in material goods The rich man talked about my crops, my grain, my goods, and my soul. He was determined to take life easy, to eat, drink, and be merry. But God had other plans. He said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This man depended on his riches for life. He didn't realize that not even his soul was his own. It was only on loan. And when God determined that his life was over, what good did all his riches do him? This poor man was all alone. 
He didn't even have an heir to pass his inheritance to. The basic problem we face is that too often we have the wrong perspectives on our money and our possessions. Like the rich fool in our parable, we think that what we have being given is my money to do with as I please. Do you think your money and your possessions are your own? Certainly not a biblical perspective. We sang together from Psalm 24. David begins this psalm by confessing, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. In Psalm 50, the Lord speaks to his people about the sacrifices that they present to him. He says, I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. God's point to his people is, he was not dependent on them for their sacrifices. The point of the sacrificial system was not to satisfy God's needs, but rather to give his people opportunity to show their thankfulness and their devotion to him. The basic point to take away from all this is that God is the owner of all. We don't really own anything. The things we say are mine and that we think belong to us are actually only entrusted into our care. All property is, first of all, God's property, not primarily our neighbor's or our own. When we talk about property, we make a huge distinction between whether we're owners or renters of it. But God looks at that differently. The Bible teaches us that we are to be good stewards of the money and the goods that God has entrusted into our care. A steward is like a manager. The point is not whether he owns something, but rather how he manages it and cares for it. As God's stewards or managers, we are responsible for taking good care of our master's goods. Understanding this is critically important for what we do with our money and possessions. God doesn't give us stuff to squander it on our own pleasures. He entrusts things into our care, so we will use them wisely. Our tendency is to use our money selfishly, but the Bible teaches us to use our money in God's service and for our neighbor's good. We'll deal with that Further, in our second point, having seen the foolishness of trusting in material goods, we'll now consider the wisdom of seeking treasure in heaven. After explaining how the rich fool's life would be demanded of him, Jesus concludes this parable with another wisdom statement. The general principle he offers is, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. If we, in our greed, store up stuff just for ourselves, we will find that in the end it consumes us, like it consumed the rich fool in this parable. Jesus warns us against storing up things for ourselves. 
And that's not just his teaching in Luke 12. In Matthew 6, verses 19 and 20, he said something similar. Jesus said, do not lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. So what does that mean? Is there anything wrong with buying a house and paying it off? Is it selfish to put aside some money for our retirement? Practically speaking, what is Jesus getting at in our text? Beloved, we need to understand that Jesus is not condemning money or possessions in themselves. Jesus is not saying that it's wrong for a Christian to be rich. The rich man, Abraham, was a friend of God. The wealthy Joseph of Arimathea was a follower of the Lord Jesus. Yet the accumulation of wealth is fraught with spiritual danger. In Matthew 19, Jesus warned his disciples, it's difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. He said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. There is a great temptation for us to gather wealth and possessions because they make us feel secure, because they enable us to do what we want. And in 1 Timothy 6 verse 12, Paul warned us saying, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. We need to understand that the general principle Jesus states at the end of our passage involves a contrast. The problem is not that we store up stuff for ourselves. Jesus made it clear that the issue is that we store up things for ourselves and we're not rich toward God. Our Lord opposes the me-first attitudes that so often fill our hearts. It's confirmed by what Jesus says in Matthew 6, after speaking about storing up treasures in heaven rather than on earth. Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here we come to the central point of of our commandment. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I want to ask you, beloved, to whom or to what is your heart devoted? You see, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Who or what do you love most of all? Is it God? Or is it money and all that it can buy for you? Please understand the gospel. The good news of salvation as it relates to the commandment, you shall not steal. The good news of salvation is that we were bought at a price. Jesus Christ has redeemed us. 
not with silver or gold, but with his precious blood. He paid the ransom to cover our sins, to set us free from the mastery of Satan. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. He said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. In Jesus Christ, we've been given an abundance of blessings. We've been adopted as God's children. We've been given forgiveness for our sins. We've been restored to union with Christ and fellowship with our Father in heaven. We've been promised this incredibly rich inheritance. Life with God on new heavens and a new earth in joy and in glory forevermore. And besides that, God also entrusts us with many material blessings. But he charges us not to be selfish with them, but to be rich toward God. Jesus explains what he means by being rich toward God in the section of Luke following the parable about the rich fool. He tells us not to worry about our life, about our material needs. He assures us of our Father's abundant love and care for us by teaching us about how God cares for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. God feeds the birds, even though they don't store up food for winter. He clothes the flowers of the field, though they're here today and gone tomorrow. We don't have to run after the necessities of life, for our Father knows that we need them. Yet there's something we need to do. Jesus commands, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Beloved, we need to get rid of our obsession with material things and develop a kingdom focus where we seek God's rule over us by his word and spirit, where we strive to advance the gospel so those living in darkness may share in the riches belonging to Christ. How do we do that? By giving priority in our lives to the things that really matter. Beloved, what place does work have in your life Are you a workaholic? Do you neglect your family in your pursuit of material well-being? Do you neglect communal Bible study or supporting and encouraging others in the church community because you're too busy with your own life? Is your focus on material things an obstacle to your Christian witness to workmates and friends and neighbors? Can they see that your money is more important to you than your God? You see, beloved, there is a really close connection between our money and our spirituality. There's a strong link between our faith and our finances. How we use our money is a pretty good barometer of where we're at in our walk with God. If you're not rich toward God in your stewardship of your money and your time and your energy, 
You're in grave danger. In danger of being like that rich fool who devoted himself to the things of this life, eating, drinking, and being merry at the cost of his soul. We truly love God and are devoted to him above all. It'll show in the manner in which we love our neighbor. When it comes to the Eighth Commandment, our love for God and our neighbor is expressed in our love for God is expressed in how we care for our neighbor. In Luke 12, 33, Jesus said, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Good stewardship of God's material blessings must include a love and care for the poor and the needy around us. Galatians 6, verse 10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Ephesians 4.28 tells us that the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We can demonstrate our sincere love for God by having a heart for and extending a helping hand to those in need. Beloved, often we have the wrong mentality about our use of our material goods. We ask, why should I follow the teachings of the Bible about money and possessions? Why should I be so radical about this whole money thing? It's much more fun to have all the nice things I want and to do the things I please with my money. I'm a Christian. I know I'm going to heaven anyway, so why not have the best of both worlds? This one and the next. God wants your heart. God isn't looking for donors for his kingdom. He's looking for followers who are so filled with a vision for eternity, they wouldn't dream of not investing their time and money in prayers where it matters most. He who lays up treasures on earth spends his life backing away from his treasures. To him, death is loss. But he who lays up treasures in heaven looks forward to eternity. He's daily moving toward his treasures. To him, death is ultimately gain. For us to be faithful stewards of God's gifts requires heart change. It's only brought about by the Spirit of God. Greed and covetousness are the works of the sinful flesh. Kindness and goodness are the fruit of the Spirit. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. They walk by the Spirit. If we are spirit-led, then in our lives, the link between our faith and our finances is very clear. We'll give generously and cheerfully out of thankfulness for all our Savior has done for us. Beloved, please remember, our treasure is Christ, not money. Our home is heaven, not this earth. As Paul said in Philippians 3.20, 
Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If Christ is indeed our treasure, then we will be good stewards of all his gifts. And then our reward will be great. When we meet our master, he will say to us, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing together. Psalm 49, stanzas 1, 2, and 5.